Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Part four of a series called Joseph. This is kind of our summer Bible series. And uh, if you have not been here for the last few weeks, let me bring you up to speed. Joseph is one of the most fascinating characters to me of the entire Bible, and especially the Old Testament. He is the guy that I want to model after. You know, what's cool, one of the reasons why you know the Bible is true is because um, they, you know, the Bible is written by a number of different people, but when they write their own story, they are honest about themselves. Do you notice that? Like they always dime themselves out. They're like, yeah, yeah I had this problem. I had this issue. I had this insecurity. I'm kind of weird here. And like, this is why, you know, the Bible's true is because they didn't leave it to somebody else to grandize their story. In ancient times, whenever a king would bring a historian in and say, I want you to write my history and write, you know, my legacy. How many know he would get to dictate and control what the historian wrote? And he would always make sure that he looked really, really good. And you don't need to. I mean, they would leave out entire children. Like if you had a bad kid, they'd just write you out of the history books. Like you would even be there, like the crazy one. Mm-mm, don't even put him in there. And so there are children that we don't know about. There are problems that we don't know about. They recreate history as they see it. But the Bible's not written that way. And so the Bible is full of odd characters. But Joseph did not write his own story. Somebody else wrote his story. Moses was the one who is, is attributed as writing the book of Genesis. And as he writes the life of Joseph, to me, I see a life that although not perfect and although has some flaws and issues, To me, we will talk about a character trait today that I hope we all aspire to have. But let me give you the brief story of where we're at in part four. Joseph's life uh, and story really begin at the age of 17. He's given a dream of greatness. Now, when you have a dream of greatness, be careful who you tell that to. Because not everybody is on board with your dream and your success and your greatness. How many ever noticed in life that sometimes when you get really, really successful, other people get really, really envious? Yeah, and that's that's how you know you have a true friend in life is that when you succeed, they genuinely and truly celebrate you. Does, does that make sense? Many people think you will know your friends when you're down and out and when you fail. That's not true. You will know your true friends when you truly succeed. It's easy to pick your friend up off the floor. It makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. But it really challenged the emotion of their heart when you succeed and they still need to say, awesome, I'm so glad for you. I'm so behind you. Wait, that's a true friend. So Joseph tells his dream, though, to some people that he is irritated, frustrated and annoyed throughout most of his life. And he tells his family and his brothers. Now, here's the deal. His brothers didn't like him. The Bible kind of alludes to the fact that Joseph was a little twerpy or arrogant with his brothers. He was the younger, but he was the favored son. And how many know when you're the favored son, the other siblings don't really like you that much? And when you got your daddy's special coat? Yeah, yeah, we don't like that. So, so if you've ever been in a situation where you weren't the favored kid, you know what I'm talking about. You know what the brothers felt like. If you were the favored kid in your child, you know nothing. Does that make sense to you? Because you don't even know that you're favored. You just think this is normal. So Joseph is the favored son, but his brothers hate him. At some point, they are so mad at him that they devise a plan. And the plan is simple. Let's kill him. It's a good plan. Then one of them speaks up and says, well, what if we didn't kill him? What if we sold him and then we'd at least get some money back for him? And so they sell him to a band of Ishmaelites who take him down to Egypt, sell him off in a slave auction to a man named Potiphar. Now, I don't know about you, but as a slave, I'd be disgruntled, mad, angry, bitter. But Joseph just seems to make the best of a bad situation. And he actually becomes a great steward in the house of Potiphar until Potiphar. Man. All right, I'm going to switch over to the other microphone. But last week, what we picked up was is that Potiphar's wife had longing eyes. Potiphar's wife 
was a desperate housewife. She had the hots for Joseph, even though she was married to Potiphar. And so she basically just begs and pleads with him day by day for her to get the hookup. And so I'm going to leave it at that. So eventually, though, what happens is where we pick up now. Joseph passes the test of purity. He says no. He runs away. He flees from sexual temptation. Everybody say, but. All right, it doesn't look good now. And here's where we pick up. Part four, Genesis chapter 39, if you have your Bible, or if not, read along with the screen. We're going to start with verse number 13. The Bible says that this is after Joseph ran away as he fleed sexual temptation, which we learned last week is the only way to overcome. It's not be strong. It's get out. Does that make sense? He gets out. But the Bible says that when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants and said, look, this Hebrew has been brought to us. To make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed, which is all a lie. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. And I quote this or that Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story. His wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. And he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, how many of you know Joseph did everything right? And here's what you need to know. And this is where we're going to start. And you'll probably see us come full circle by this idea by the time we get all the way to the end of today. Is that obedience is no guarantee that everything in your life is going to be great. Sometimes in life, you're going to do everything right and it's still going to go wrong. Sometimes you're going to go through life and you might even have a loved one and you become bitter because you thought that loved one that she always prayed and she was always at church and she always gave, but she still got sick and died. I don't understand. And you're going to be confused and you're going to be challenged. Because sometimes you will do everything right. Sometimes you will be completely obedient. Sometimes you will be able to look at God and say, God, I obeyed you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever actually obeyed God and said, I'm, I'm struggling, but God, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the honest thing. I'm going to do the integrous thing. And then you did it. And then you got fired for it. Or you got written up or you got in trouble or the, the relationship got destroyed. I mean, something bad happens sometimes. This is proof that being obedient to God is not the cure-all to everything. And this is a misconception inside of Christianity. I know lots of people who feel this way. They were taught or told or were convinced that if you came to Jesus, that everything in your life would be great. And that sounds wonderful. And it sells really, really well. It's just not what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, Jesus said the exact Opposite. Let me tell you this. All the disciples, 11 out of 12 of them, or I should say 10 out of 12 of them, were murdered and killed for following Jesus. And not one of them was shocked. He actually told them in advance. He said, just so you know, if you follow me, people are going to hate you. They might beat you, torture you, and even kill you. The, The disciples never died of a broken heart because they were duped into following Jesus down the yellow brick road to some type of fantasy land. They knew full well that they were getting into. And when you read what Jesus actually, as a matter of fact, in in John chapter 16, this is what he's telling the disciples. In this life, you will have trouble. But I mean, be of good cheer because I overcame the world. Like, so he doesn't say you might have trouble. He didn't say it's possible that you have trouble. He said what you, 
will. Okay, so I just want to, this is, this is so not good news. I'll tell you the good news after this. This is not good news. You're going to have trouble in life. You are. Here's the good news. Jesus overcame the world. And this, is, and this is the promise of Christianity. The promise of Christianity is not that everything would be easy. The promise of Christianity is that he would be with you no matter what. That even if you went through hell, he would be with you. Even if it all fell apart, he would be with you. He would never leave you. He would never forsake you. That's the promise of Christianity. It's not that everything would turn up petunias and tulips and just be a, a beautiful, magical uh, fairyland ending. It, that's not what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, he tells this one story in Matthew 7. He's teaching about two people. He said, one guy hears the word of God and obeys it. He said, but then a storm comes and it absolutely just tries to wreck his house. But because his house is built on the rock of my words, his house stands. And then he he, he juxtaposes that by saying, but there's another guy who heard my words, didn't obey them all. And he built his house on the sand. And when the storm came, his house was blown away and great was his loss. Do you know what the... The the obvious big point of that story is this is not only do you need to hear the words of God, they both heard, by the way, but you need to obey the words of God. But the subtle hidden truth behind all of that is this. The storm hit both of them. It's not like the guy that was obedient and heard the words and obeyed the words never had the storm. It's that he endured the storm. Are Are you with me so far? What Joseph faces now is the test of the prison. That what do you do? This is the test that you will face to see if you can ever get to live out the dream that God gave you. The hope and the desire that God put in your heart. Is what do you do when you're faced with the prison? Because here's here's what else we learn. We learn that the only person that can derail you from reaching your dream is you. No weapon formed against you and no enemy that comes up against you can derail it. And God's not going to derail it. So the only person left in the scenario to derail us from getting to our dream is us. The question is not, will we face trials and will we face difficulty? The big question is this, how will we respond to them? And maybe even the next question is, will we allow God to do his work through them? That's what we look at when we look at the prison test. When we look at all that Joseph went to. Now, here's what you need to know about this. And this is the process that we're going to work through today. And number one is this, is that tribulation produces that perseverance. It's, it's no different than why you lift weights in the gym. And that's why you have bulging biceps and eight pack abs. That's why you have that stuff, right? It's because you put resistance. You actually took the muscle, tore it down so it could rebuild and get bigger and stronger. And this is the same idea of how your life, the Bible backs this up. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 5, verse number 3 and 4. The Bible says, we also glory or take joy in our sufferings. Now, do you do that? I, got, I have to confess, I don't know that I do that. I have not obeyed the scripture yet. I'm working on it though. It says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces what? Perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. 
This is this kind of weird chain reaction that we say we see take place. So again, we've already embraced the fact that we're going to endure, we're going to suffer, we're going to have trials and tribulations, and that is going to happen. It's a matter of fact. The question is this, is will you let that process take hold? Because what the Bible teaches is that tribulation produces perseverance. As a matter of fact, James, James maybe even says it in an even more odd way. In James chapter 1, he says this. He says, brethren, we count it all joy when we... It basically encounters sufferings and tribulations and trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. These guys are almost nuts. They're, they almost come off like the guy who's excited. Hey, guys, every time I hit trial, I step back and I think, yay, this is going to be awesome because I know God is doing something in me. Now, do you do that? <laughs> I, I got to be honest. I don't know that I do that, but. We're going to find out why you ought to do that. And we'll find out also that if you do that, you will have a greater outcome at the end of your life. These guys literally look at trials and tribulations differently than the way you and I do. And Joseph, through this entire story, you will see, kind of takes on trial way better than you and I typically do. You you need to know that Joseph, from the time that he was 17 years old and he had the dream, do you know that he had to endure 13 long years before he actually ever even saw the dream start to take shape? 13 years. We're talking about being sold. We're talking about being a slave. We're talking about being lied to and then being thrown into a prison. And not just any prison. This wasn't like the uh, minimum security with the television situation. This was the special prison. This wasn't even the normal prison uh, prison for normal criminals. This was the special dungeon that they created just for the people who specifically hacked off just the king. How many know that's not where you want to end up? That's not where you vacation in the summer. That is not where anybody wants to be. And yet that's where Joseph ended up, not for doing anything bad, but by obeying God. That's a tough pill to swallow. And what Joseph does is this, because as you continue to read the story, is that Joseph actually just begins to do what he did before. I'll make the best of a bad situation. I'll I'll do my best. I'll give my best regardless of who lied about me or how bad my situation is right now. And the Bible says that he does so well that the captain of the jail watches how he does and how he acts. And he actually begins to delegate work to him. I'm assuming the guy was a little bit lazy, too, but he goes, man, I... This kid's sharp. I'm just going to let him do stuff. And he, he ends up by the, the, I don't know how many years it took. It doesn't say how many years it took, but eventually over a course of time, he earned the jailer's trust and confidence, and the jailer put him in charge of the jail, to run the jail underneath him. Now do you see why we want to aspire to be this guy? Because regardless of the circumstances, he does his best and he gives his best. But to do that, you have to have the character trait of what? Perseverance. You, you need to know this. You need to know that that the dream that God has for you is going to require something of you. And you've got to be tested before you can ever fully get it. Because if you got there and you weren't fully prepared for it and you weren't fully equipped for it, that thing might actually hurt you in the end. If God gave you all the success that you really had in your heart or all the success that God even wanted you to have, if he gave it to you now, it would probably break you. So what does God do? God puts or allows you to go through certain trials and tribulations so that your heart and your mind and your character are prepared to handle it. You've got to remember, Joseph, for 13 long years, was going through these tests to prepare him to actually take on the role that was the most important role of the world at that time. 
Do you know this is also true? Think about David. David, we know the story about the shepherd boy that was pulled out of the sheep and the prophet comes up and anoints him as king. Do you remember that? And we're like, yay, you got to think, can you imagine being a young man and all of a sudden this guy says you're going to be the king? You're like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Thirteen years later, thirteen years after hiding, after having to kill, having after having to like be hunted down for your life on a regular basis through incredible pain and suffering. Thirteen years later, then David becomes the king. Moses is the same way. Moses has in his heart to free his people. And so he goes and actually uh, murders an Egyptian, has to run for his life, and he has to wait for 40 years. This is what you need to know about perseverance. Perseverance implies that you have to endure over a period of time. Is that right? Now, here's what you need to know. God sees time differently than you see time. Because sometimes you have it in your heart that I really, really want this, and you don't know what it's going to take to get there. And you don't realize that God's timeline is different than your timeline. And many of us give up quickly, don't we? We quit, we stop praying, we stop hoping, we stop believing because we believe, well, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? It's been two days. You're tripping. Okay, this isn't something that like God just waves wands and magically makes your dreams appear. As a matter of fact, what he does is, is he begins to prepare you so that you can handle the dream when it comes. Because if you're not ready, God might just not send it. And so the Bible says that tribulation, tribulation produces perseverance. But it also said this, that if we allow perseverance to take place, that perseverance produces character. Isn't that what Romans said? It said that we glory, we take joy in our sufferings because we know that tribulations produce what? Perseverance, but perseverance produces character. That is the thing that Joseph had, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, like, that's the character trait that you're going to need. Listen, the higher the success that you want in life, the higher your character has to go. Because the more success, the more power that you have, the more wealth that you have, the more influence that you have, your character will be tested all the more. Again, the, the, the higher the success that you aspire to have or you believe God has in store for you, the higher the character has to be to handle and to maintain that. And you, now, now, here's the other thing, too. Many of you are afraid right now because you're like, oh, man. Many of you are thinking, what's God going to do to me now? What, what trial is God going to, how is God going to get me? Great, Todd, you have set me up now because now I aspired for all these dreams and success and these aspirations. And now you're telling me that I'm going to have to pay a price. And so now I'm kind of on the lookout for God to get me here. Listen to me. God doesn't have to get you. Okay. God's, God does not sit back and scheme ways to get your life. Okay? God's got much more important things to worry about than that right there. He's not thinking about, mm, how can I get it done? I want to get him good. He doesn't do that. Okay. Life will produce trials. God doesn't have to. Does that make sense? We live in a fallen world full of sin, full of evil. This world has got enough uh, power in the punch to, to throw you a good trial. Does that make sense? God is not scheming to get you. So, so don't worry. Sit back. Don't, don't be afraid. But here's, here's what you need to know about how these trials produce character. Is sometimes trials kind of reveal the character that you have, but then they begin to strengthen it. And the other way that it develops your character is this, is that many times trials reveal a character flaw in you. Have you ever noticed that? You ever noticed that when life was good, you could kind of keep those demons in the closet? Like when, li- when stress was low, I didn't have problems with anger. When stress was low or when everything was going my way, I didn't have problems with resentment. I didn't have those issues. And yet then when trials come out, then all of a sudden like 
your evil twin, you know, flashes on everybody. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that trial made that thing come. No, no, that thing was already there. Some of you are like that with your marriage. Like you thought you were pretty good. And then you got married to somebody. And then all of a sudden that person poked at you and touched little insecure spots and little bruises and little areas in your past that you didn't even know existed. And then you look at them and be like, look what you made me do. You made me angry. Mm, That anger has been up in you. Okay, he made it flash, but it was already in you. And that's what trials produce. Here's just my opinion. This is a little bit of speculation as I look at the life of Joseph. We already know that Joseph was really, really smart. Can I get? Yeah. We already know that he was really good looking. We know that he was already uh, very competent and accomplished, that literally everything he touched turned to gold and started going really, really good. All those things are factual things. And so here's the speculation that I'm going to produce. I believe that the character flaw that God wanted to literally wrench out of Joseph was his own self-sufficiency and self-reliance. See, the problem is this, is when you got a lot, you sometimes get duped into believing that you're the one that pulled it all off. When, you, when you're really, really smart, you think you can do it all on your own. When you're really, really good looking and you're competent and you got it all together, you think, I'm the man. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm kind of a big deal. And I really, really believe that at times in his life, he stopped depending upon God's strength and God's favor. And he started thinking, you know what? I got this. I can do this on my own. And so God began to, I believe, just whittle down and chip away at all the self-sufficiency, all the pride that at the beginning of his life he seemed to have. And he could have come back and reproduced every time he got successful. How I many know sometimes, you know, we pray. You ever do this? You're down and out and you pray, pray, pray. God does a miracle. And then all of a sudden things start to go your way. And you're like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> no, you're not. God's doing good for you. It wasn't you. You, you, you stepped into blessing. You stepped into favor. You were lucky to be born into that family, into that time period, into that neighborhood, and go to that school and, and have the brain that you were born with and the gifts and the talents that you were. You walked into all that stuff. And as soon as God tells in your favor, it went your way. And you're like, mm-hmm, that's all about me. I'm doing well for myself. And I believe Joseph had a little bit in that. It, it, just that little bit of like, look what I did. I am pretty smart. I am kind of good looking. I do have these things going for me. Look at what I have done. Because what we find out is that the only reason, as we continue the story, that Joseph gets out of the prison is because of a very supernatural gift that God gives him. Does that make sense? It it wasn't about Joseph. Yeah, we're glad he was smart. Yeah, we're glad he was competent. We're glad that he worked hard. We're glad that he was excellent in all that he did. And most of those things came from God anyway. But never, ever, ever get to the point where you think it was all about you. Because had God not ordained and orchestrated and arranged all those things, none of it would have gone your way. So the Bible says that perseverance produces this character. Here's the question I have for you today. What's the character flaw that God might want to wrench out of you? As you experience trials, what is it that you think about when you look at your life, your personality, some of your habits and some of your tendencies? What is it that God might want to squeeze right out of you so that he can produce the type of character that will be able to handle the type of success that God wants to give you? Let's keep going. So the Bible says... And this is all from Romans chapter 5, is that tribulation produces perseverance, that perseverance produces character. But now it gets a little bit odd. It says character produces hope. And this is the one that I really began to struggle with and challenge with the most. Like, how does character produce hope? And here's what I really, really believe, and this is based on my own personal experience. When you do the right thing, 
just because it's the right thing. When you do right as God has defined right, no matter what the circumstances, whether you would have gotten caught, found out, rewarded or not, none of that was in play. When you do what is right, simply because God has defined that as right, there is a certain sense of satisfaction that comes over you. And this is what I believe is it connects you to the character of God, because let me help you know God real quick here. God does what is right, regardless of how he feels. Does that make sense? You ever done something stupid and say, wow, I just was in a bad mood or wow, I just got really, really angry or wow, I was just really emotional. I just spoke out. And I said, you ever done that before? Okay, good. don't don't be acting like y'all don't. I know your spouse has called me anyway. God doesn't do that. God's never had a moment where he's like, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I just was really upset. And I basically just I blew up that entire nation. I'm sorry. Would you? I'm really sorry. No, no, no. God. God has always perfectly handled his emotion and still done what was right just because it was right, because he defined what the standard of right was. And he was right by you, by the way. And he changed that. This is why the Bible says in Malachi, he says, I'm the Lord and I change not and therefore you're not destroyed. Because God is love. And you're glad that God doesn't change, aren't you? Because if God changed and he wouldn't be love anymore, he'd be something else. He, he might be angry. If, if God is kind and he changed and he would be something other than kind and he might, well, he might be unkind. He's just. But if he changed, he would be something other than just. And then again, he might be unjust. And then what, who's destroyed? If God, if God is no longer kind, loving or just, who gets destroyed? So he says, a good thing that I don't change. You need to be able to trust in my character. And I think when we do what is right, just because it is right, that it connects us to the character of God. And we realize who God is, that God is able to always do what is right. And when we connect to that, you know what we have? We have a little bit of hope. We have a little bit of hope that says, you know what? Even if all things around me are going bad, I know what the character of God really is. And I have hope in the character of God. Let, let, let me put it like this. Hope believes that God is always working everything out for our good right now. Isn't that? We, we sang that earlier today, didn't we? We sang that we believe that in all things God works for the good that, to those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. See, when you believe the character of God, you believe, you know, what? I know that God's working out, even though I can't see it. And the timeline is way bad, according to my timeline. This is not the timeline I would ever come up with. I believe that God has a timeline in mind and I believe God is still in control. And I, st- I believe God is still just and God is still faithful and God is still love. And he's still doing right by me, regardless of how I've done right by him. And because of that, I have hope. I have hope that no matter what happens, that God is with me, that God is working things out on my behalf. Lastly, as we kind of move forward and we'll kind of begin to wrap this thing up, the Bible says that trials produce perseverance and perseverance produce character and character produces hope. And then the Bible, you know, I think, I think we're going to wrap up right here is, is that really hope is what produces opportunity. Hope produces opportunity because as soon as you begin to quit, as soon as you begin to get so Disappointed. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that hope deferred sickens the heart. It's in Proverbs chapter 13. Hope deferred sickens the heart. You know what that means? As a matter of fact, I read a medical journal not too long ago. It was a medical article, I should say. And it actually talked about how when you have incredible levels of disappointment, that that is when you are most susceptible to disease. That's a fascinating thought. It's amazing how true the Bible has been for thousands of years now. Hope deferred sickens the heart. And can you imagine what Joseph had to experience in life? He finally thinks, man, I'm making my way. I'm getting up in the ranks and Potiphar's going to notice me and it's all going to turn around. And then all of a sudden the wife 
lies about him. He gets thrown in prison. He has an incredible setback. But you know what I believe he did? I believe he allowed trials to make him persevere and persevere to have character. And character produced hope in him. He kept on going, didn't he? Regardless of the situation, he kind of kept. Now, here's how I know that hope produces opportunity. When hope defers and you don't get what you wanted, you get incredibly disappointed. We get mopey. We get sad. We have a pity party. No one comes. That's what happens when our hope fails us. But when we have the perseverance that produces character and the character that produces hope, it creates this unique opportunity. Because now you're not thinking about you. You're actually thinking about what God might still be doing in you and through you. Now watch what happens to Joseph. Genesis 40. This is while he's in prison. While he is in prison, two men get thrown in while he is there. They were referred to only as the butler and the baker. They get thrown into prison because they hacked off the king. And then this is what happens in verse number six. The Bible says that when Joseph came to them, the butler and the baker, the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody, the butler and the baker, why do you look so sad today? He begins to minister to the butler and the baker. You know why? Because he has hope in his heart. He's not having a pity party. He's not lost. He's not dejected. He's not woe is me. He's not God lied to me and he didn't show up and God misled me and my life is miserable and I'll never overcome and I'll never get by. And I'll... He didn't have the pity party that no one showed up to. He stayed hopeful in the character and the nature of God. And in his hopefulness, he was able to actually pay attention to the world around him and see two very, very discouraged and dejected people. And he began to minister to them. Now, how incredible is that? You've been lied about, sold, just absolutely done wrong. And none of it was your fault. And even in that moment, you're thinking about other people. And because he ministers to these two people, this is what happens. The Bible says that these two guys eventually get out. Of course, one of them gets killed. (laughs) He really did rip off the king. They executed him. The other one was just and right, and the king restored him. But he tells his friend, he goes, hey, when you get out of here, remember me. Like, tell the king I'm in here, and I don't deserve to be in here. I didn't do anything wrong. Remember me. And you know what happens? That guy gets out and gets a a campaign together to help free. No, he doesn't do any of that. The Bible says he forgets about Joseph. What a buster, huh? That's not the friend you want in the prison. The friend forgets about him. Again, I almost think that maybe this was God saying, no, it's not going to be about you. You're not going to get out because of your own doing. You'll get out because of me. You'll overcome because of me. We're not, it's not about your self-reliance and your self-sufficiency and how good-looking and successful you are. It's going to be about me. But years go by, the Bible says, and eventually the king has a dream. And then all of a sudden, the, the butler is reminded. God brings it back to his memory. He goes, oh, wait, oh, there's this kid. There's this young guy in prison who has the gift of interpreting dreams. Go get that guy. And because of God's favor over Joseph's life, he is able to come up out of the prison. And we'll continue the story for the next two Sundays. And we'll see the life of Joseph take place. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that no matter what trial it is that you are going through, allow God to work it out in you. Allow God to create that character trait of perseverance in you. Allow that to develop your care, your ability to do what is right just because it's right. Let that connect you to who God really is, and that'll put hope in your heart. I promise there's something about living life with hope. There's something about walking through life knowing that no matter what I experience, that God, He is with me. Listen to this last scripture, and I'm done. 
Joshua 1 verse 9, God gives Joshua that same exact promise I'm trying to give you today. He says, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, don't lose your hope. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hey, when God is on my side, quitting is not an option. He is in me. He is working through me to produce character and to produce hope so that I can one day handle the dream that God has in store for me. I want you to know you can do it this morning. Hang in there. No matter what trial you're going through. I know, I know it's hard. It stinks. It's hard. Sometimes you go through a, a, a loss. You go through sickness. You go through death. I'm telling you, sometimes it's just awful. I've sat down with people and they say, they say, Pastor, what do you have to say? I say, I got nothing. It's awful what you're experiencing. I have no explanation for it. All I know is the character and nature of God. And if you'll hold on to him, you will get through this. That's all I've got for you. Sometimes that is all you got. Because with God on your side, I'm telling you, quitting doesn't become an option. You can persevere. You can hold on to hope. Let's pray this morning. With your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to wrestle and challenge yourself with some of these questions. And here's the most obvious. What trial are you going through right now? What trial are you facing? And if you're not facing one, just take notes and hang on. Something will eventually pop up. I hope it doesn't. I hope they're far and few between. And I hope you go through them with incredible grace and dignity. But I'm telling you, if you're in a trial, right, what's the trial that you're going through right now? And what are you allowing it to produce in you? Most people, when you see them go through trials, they either get bitter or they get better. They don't get both. Is the trial that you're going through forcing you to resent God, question God, doubt God, or is it drawing you closer to God? Allow God, allow it to work through you. Here's, here's the question. What's the character flaw that God might be trying to work out of you? Last question. Am I staying hopeful even in the midst of my trial or am I starting to lose hope? Last encouragement. God has a big destiny for you. But it's going to require big character and a little bit of hope. So hang in there and wait and see the deliverance of the Lord. Father, we invite you into our heart and to our mind, God. Be at work in us. No matter what our trial, no matter what our situation, be at work in us. God, help us to overcome. Not in our own strength and our own sufficiency, but by trusting and depending on you, God. Work it out in us, God. Work in us the character that we need. Work out the character flaw that doesn't belong, God. Let us hold on to you and be hopeful, God. Let us stay in the moment. Seize the opportunity that you've given us, God. We want to see your dream for our lives come to pass. Lord, that is our prayer this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?